If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Jack, who is mum to a gorgeous little boy named Fletcher. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Jack. I'd love to start by understanding what you went through to decide to become a solo mum by choice. Awesome. Thanks for having me here tonight. So I think like, well, to be honest, just about everyone that you've had on this podcast, um, it definitely wasn't what I thought when I was younger that I would grow up and be a single mum by choice at all. Um, I assumed like uh, a lot of people that I would be married, have a family. I'm one of four children and I very much saw my future with, you know, four children, a great relationship with my parents, like I'd had with my grandparents, all of all of the above. Um, and I had always also been pretty career orientated. So, mm-hmm. you know, the years ticked by and suddenly I was 35 and a lot of my friends then were married and had had children. Um, and so I guess the time started, I started thinking, you know, what's what's next for me and when might it happen? Um, and at that stage, I actually did all the training to become a foster parent oh, um, wow. because I kind of assumed you know, and thought to myself, well, if it, if it wasn't to happen through getting married and having a family, then there's also lots of children that need love and there's lots of way to make a family. And, you know, I've got a lot of love to give. So um, maybe being a foster parent was was the way to go. And it was during that um, training when they tell you that you can have these kids for short-term, long-term placements, you know, whatever works out. Um, but obviously the goal is to always reunite with the parent or family, which is a hundred percent understandable, but they can literally go to school one day. There could be a court date on that day. And then if the, um, court rules that they're to go back to the family, then they're picked up from school when you actually don't see them again, there's no goodbyes, no, you don't keep in contact. It's just, and, and suddenly I was like, Oh God, I don't know how I would cope. I think I could cope with the challenging behaviours. Well, I think I've never done it, but I was very open to learning about that. But I think forming a relationship and then all of a sudden having it severed um, was, yeah, something that I think I would have been really challenged with. I'm definitely not close to the idea, but it probably still made me think about 
going back to having my own kids and what could that look like and was there a way of having my own children and I then was um, talking with my older sister at the time and she was like honestly just just do it on your own why wouldn't you just have your own children and lo and behold I decided to start the process so contacted through my GP got a referral to a fertility specialist and had the first consult Um, again mainly just to ask her and have a chat about what my options were did she think Mm -hmm. freezing eggs was a good idea and she was like honestly at your age at this stage I was 37 mm-hmm. um she said if, if you want to have children I'd just get on and have them wow. so we did okay. mm. <laughs> so was there any barriers to becoming a foster parent because you were single or was that not really no not at all the only requirements that um we had to have at the time was just a spare room for the child to be in mm-hmm. um and obviously lots of supports and I needed to make sure that um you know I was going to be able to care for someone so what would that look like how would I get them to school and get them home or drop them to daycare um so to be honest it was quite a good way to think about what it would mean having a baby of my own if that did happen Absolutely. so yeah. training is unbelievable for anyone that's ever thinking about doing it and they even go through a lot of skills and tips to help around challenging behaviors but they're actually just really good parenting skills I mean obviously Fletch is only 10 and a half months so I haven't had to use them yet but I think it's that type of um, you know it's all about being really calm and forming a connection and making the child feel safe which is something that I would absolutely want for Fletcher in this house as well. Wow. All right, so we went to the fertility specialist. She said, get on with it. What happened next? Uh, so we basically did. So started um, a whole range of just a general bloods, scans, all the usual. Um, did the appointments that you needed to have, so both the counselling sessions, the session with the nurse. This also was at the start of, let me just get my years right, um, 2020. So very much the start of covid Mm-hmm. Um, which at that stage, obviously, we didn't know what the world was going to look like. Um, and I also didn't necessarily know what this process was going to involve in the time frame. And once I had got access to the donor list, it would have been about the June of 2020. So we were pretty peak wave one here in Victoria. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure we had had a lockdown or were possibly in lockdown at that stage. Hard to remember. It all seemed to move relatively quickly, but I think I was also, um, you know, like everyone, pretty hectic at work during those years as well. Yeah. Um, but selected the donor. We had a, decided to do two rounds of IUI first, mm-hmm. um, given that there was no, she didn't think there would be, I guess I had no signs to indicate that I had fertility issues. So that was kind of the ticker box. But the thing that I loved about her was that she very much said to me, consider this like ticking a box there is a very high chance that you will need to go on to IVF, but we will get you pregnant. So she set me up with a really good mindset going into it. To be fair, not that it makes it any easier to to cope with it when it doesn't work each cycle. But I think that narrative that she had told me at the start that we will get you pregnant, it's just going to take time. So I just had to keep remembering that um, every cycle, but started my first attempt was the July. Mm -hmm. Um, and then do two back-to-back cycles of IUI, both were unsuccessful. Then went on to do um, an egg collection and was very, very overstimulated. So oh, had no. a lot of eggs to give. 
Um, but meant I couldn't do a fresh transfer that month. So I had a month off and then did my first embryo. Um, that also didn't take. Uh, How did you feel after the hyperstimulation? Like after a month, did you feel you're back to normal or did it take a, a little while? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was hard because to be honest, I had done two months of IUI before. So I felt that I was kind of feeling very heavily bloated yeah. for you know kind of three months um, but again, I was also very heavily distracted with COVID and work. So it was in a way kind of a bit of a blessing, but I didn't feel, I mean, I was back to exercise very quickly. You know, I didn't feel any massive impact that I can remember. The only impact was that you couldn't do a fresh transfer then. Well, that's lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was definitely disappointing, but again, she was really reassuring at the time to say, but don't worry, not all hope is lost. You know, the frozen is just as good quality. There's no evidence to say that it's not. We've now got a bit of time. So, um, and in all honesty, it was probably good for me to have a month off because it was just, again, I could be clear, okay, I've now got a six-week window um, where there's not going to be any injections, no scans, because I think I didn't realise or appreciate actually how time-intensive each cycle could be. You know, there's sometimes you're going in for a scan you know, three times a week, four times a week, which luckily in lockdown, there was no traffic and it was very easy to navigate. Um, but it's still really time consuming. And, you know, every time you go expecting to hope to get a different answer than what you might get. So um, it was good to have the month off. And then um, finally had the second embryo put in on Australia Day 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and that resulted in my son Fletcher in the October. Oh, wonderful. And so how was pregnancy with him? So it took a little bit to get, but in the grand scheme of things, not too long. Oh, no. I mean, to be honest, I feel incredibly fortunate given that, you know, I've heard many stories of people wanting to get pregnant who have taken years and years and years. So in the scheme of things, as you say, it, well, it felt really challenging at the time and I don't think I'd ever take away from anyone's experience, but it was... Um, you know, relatively quick. Uh, pregnancy was a whirlwind. So I think from about six weeks, I started to get pretty bad morning sickness and basically threw up every day for 42 weeks because I carried oh, no. right up until 42 weeks. Um, I did get some wonderful on Dancitron to help with the nausea. So it was a, I got into a really good routine with it where essentially I would be sick first thing in the morning. That was quite natural. But once I took the um, anti-nausea medication, the rest of the day was actually very manageable. Yeah. Um, and I certainly felt it, you know, if I got really tired, sometimes towards the evening, I might feel a bit nauseous. But, you know, I kept maintaining a, a fairly hectic workload, exercised, all those sorts of things. So, again, I think I was pretty fortunate in pregnancy to have um, relatively smooth sailing considering. So you went all the way up to 42 weeks, though? Up to 42 weeks, yeah. I mean, to be honest, he'd still be inside if he had a choice. <laughs> he was not coming out at all. Um, I had a great midwife through the case low program at the Women's Hospital, mm -hmm. um, and she was awesome. I would check in with her fairly regularly. Um, but I had was very keen for a natural birth as possible, if possible. Um, you know, we had talked about what I what my preferences were, but also I was really clear with her. 
I'm happy to have a plan, but I'm happy to also just go with the plan, whatever needs to happen on the day. Let's not be too wedded to anything. Um, and I would have gone on longer, but the hospital protocol said 42 weeks is the limit, especially given my age. But I, was I felt say most people, most people your age in IVF, it's then not usually in longer no. than 39. So you got three weeks extra. No. <laughs> yeah. And I think he, because um, we had had a couple of findings on scans during the pregnancy where I had um, a couple of appointments at the high risk clinic and at the women's as well. But, um, you know, it's so hard on ultrasound because they're judging on the norm. So it was, you know, things that were slightly off the scale, but to be honest, was probably also quite a normal reading, which I felt comfortable with. So um, I could continue with the caseload program, which was awesome to not have to move off that because they obviously only take the low-risk pregnancies. Um, so, yeah, I was hoping to go into labour naturally and labour at home for as long as possible, but we did uh, four stretch and sweeps, I think, from 40 weeks on. Um, I did some of the old wives' tales that they tell you to do to try and bring on labour, but absolutely nothing. And then on the um, at 41 and 5, I felt like the movements were getting slower. Mm -hmm. um, I don't actually know if that was the case or if I was so in tune then thinking, oh, my God, is that a contraction, that I was probably paying attention to the movements more than I had previously, um, but went in to get monitored as per the midwife's instructions. And, of course, then he was having a massive party, so stayed <laughs> in hospital for quite some hours till he calmed down. Um, and they said, look, actually, we want to induce you the next day. Um, but there was no room in the birth suite the next day. So I went back for monitoring that night and then was induced at 42 weeks, um, which is the day that I would have been um, going in anyway because they wouldn't have let me go over that. Hmm. It's always interesting to think about. I wonder how far you could have gone before he actually decided he wanted to come. I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think he would have come in his own time, but you know, it's best not to risk these things for sure. Mm -hmm. And so induction went okay? Um, it was an experience. I think <laughs> even though I am a health professional, I was pretty unprepared for that, I would say. I had thought that I was going to get um, a catheter inserted and then be able to go home for about 18 hours and then you come back and get checked. Um, but because of the decreased movements and I was at 42 weeks at that stage, they were keen to just progress straight to the gel, which was fine. Um, when they did the first check, basically they said to me, your cervix is like it is at 35 weeks. It's There's nothing sure. happening. His head yeah. was not even remotely engaged. So um, hence they couldn't do the catheter because they were like, it's, it's actually going to do nothing. Um, so we did one round of gel and they were convinced that I would probably need to have three rounds. So at this stage also it was um, peak. We were in another wave of COVID, so there was no visitors allowed in the hospital. Um, and I sort of was saying to them, well, shall I text my support person? Do they come now? What happens? They said, no, no, we'll put the gel in. You can go to the ward and then we'll come and check you six hours later. And at about five hours I had started getting um, – you know, a lot of tightenings. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if that was contractions or not, but 
anyway, here I am thinking I was in labor because I was also, I'd gone to the bathroom quite a few times. So I was like, well, maybe that's my water's breaking. <laughs> anyway, we get down to the birth suite because they, they were definitely contractions and it was a lot in my back um, as opposed to the front. Yeah. And they said, you are definitely not in labor, but the back pain and all the contractions meant they couldn't give me any more gel because um, they were worried then that things would move too quickly. So we they broke my waters. Um, my waters definitely had not broken before because that is an experience and a half. Um, and then we were all on. So it, at that stage, my support person had come in, which um, I had hoped would be my mum and my sister, but they were stuck in New Zealand due to border closures. So a very good friend mm-hmm. of mine came, which was amazing because neither of us had been um, around anyone giving birth before. So it was definitely experience. Have you put um, her off now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but I think it was a bonding experience for both of us. Um, yeah. But she was great. She is very, very calm under pressure. And I think, you know, the first few hours or eight to 10 hours, there's not really a lot to do because it's just really the contractions and you know I was trying to rest as much as possible I was trying to breathe as much as possible my midwife was creating a beautiful environment in the room you know we were just keeping it very relaxed as much as you could um then after about 10 or so hours the pain was getting pretty bad um and I said to her look to be honest I think I need an epidural because either that or this is not you know, I just actually can't do it anymore. I was getting so tired. She said, let me um, do an exam because depending how far along you are, she knew that I wasn't keen for an epidural if at all possible. Yeah. So we'll, we'll assess it and then let's have a conversation about it. Well, she didn't have the heart to tell me that I was only two centimetres, so she told me I was three. <laughs> but it really, it really wasn't, really wasn't progressing. So um, we all agreed an epidural was, would be best. Um they came and put one in, which was amazing. And then um, she said, let's everyone have a little rest. We can have a nice sleep and we'll pick this up again in, in two hours. Just as she was getting everyone organized in the room, um, the baby's heart rate started to drop. So it was then a bit of a flurry to try and um, make sure that they were picking up his heart rate, not mine, because that can also be sometimes in labor with the machines on the outside. Um, they were rolling me a lot side to side to try and make sure that um, with each contraction they were picking up his heart rate. Everyone's getting a little bit nervous as to how things were progressing. Um, and so after I have got no clue of timeframes at this stage, but at some time point they did another exam and suddenly I was at eight and a half centimetres. So I think the epidural, um, I had done a lot of running and CrossFit um, and run some quite long distances. So my hips and pelvic floor were super tight. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I just think without the epidural, I was probably never going to relax enough to even let things happen naturally. So it was the perfect um, pause, I guess. Uh, And he had also been posterior, hence my back pain. So all the turning of me side to side, it actually turned him as well, which was um, awesome because it meant that we could continue with the birth as planned. So a lot of pushing later, um, ended up needing to have an episiotomy and he was a forceps delivery, but um, managed to do it all in the birth suite. And as much as I was very nervous when the pediatrician comes in and they pull down the recess cart, 
Um, again, the midwife was really good in the situation, really calming. You know, the room was getting very crowded because there's lots of people coming in because they were quite worried. But, mm. you know, I never felt unsafe um, and I never felt like the baby was at risk, which was a great place to be, um, you know, through it all because it can get to be quite a stressful situation. So beautiful, healthy little boy in the end and you called him Fletcher. Is there any anything behind yes. the name? Or? Absolutely nothing. Um, he was going to be Grayson. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Gray for a short name. Um, Fletcher was a late addition to the name list and when he came out, he just didn't look like a Grayson. It really is true what they say. You've kind of got to wait <laughs> to see the baby before you know them. Yeah. And then second name is Alexander after my dad, which was um, super important to me to have that in the name. And what did you go through in order to pick your sperm? I guess we didn't cover that earlier. No, good question. So it's such a surreal experience, isn't it? Like you're mm-hmm. kind of reading these profiles online thinking, I could have a baby with you. You know, it's such a weird, um, yeah, it was It was very, um, the first time around, so for IUI, I had two of my very good friends come around. We read through all the profiles. I had already read them, so I kind of had a bit of an idea. Um, for me, genetics was important, mm-hmm. mainly because just to make sure that we there was no really alarming traits, which obviously they don't even get on the donor register if there is. So that was um, a pretty easy check. And then really all I went to was the letter um, because the rest... Uh, I could work with and the most important thing to me was that the donor was willing to meet the child if Mm -hmm. the child wants to reach out so there was a couple that had ticked no to that so that was an automatic um, cross out for me and then that they had referred to so the one that I picked referred to your parent or parents um, whereas a lot of them wrote about your mum and your dad love you so there was something about, you know, finding a connection or feeling a connection that they were open to it being a single parent. Yeah. Um, and the letter of this of the donor that I selected, he honestly just sounded like a really kind person. And I was like, I can teach the rest. I don't need them to be athletic or smart or anything like that. Um, you know, they will be what they will be. But I think being an intrinsically kind person is um you know and they've given me an amazing gift through this process so both times um first time around I had a Chinese donor and second time um he was actually the Fletcher is part Malaysian so again I didn't look at I I wasn't fussed around whether or not they looked like me um that that was very secondary to me so but it just happened to be that both were of Asian descent that's interesting because I think most people are looking for a donor that kind of looks like them. So you're probably one of the first people that that wasn't a factor yeah. for you. Yeah. yeah. And interestingly, they asked me in the counselling session, um, how would I feel about mixed race and had I thought about that? And in my mind, I was like, well, no, I mean, I wouldn't judge someone on their race if I was in a bar or meeting my future husband. So why would I do that when um, picking a donor? But they raised a really good point about how would you actually connect the child to their heritage and to their culture. So even that's been really good learning for me and thinking about what traditions 
Fletcher and I will A, start together, but also bring to my family. So what does Chinese New Year look like every year now and celebrating that with them? That's the reason why I am keen to also connect with the donor at some point. I'm in no massive rush, but I would love to know what some of their family traditions are that I could um, bring to Fletcher's life as well. And did you have options for overseas donors or was it only Victorian? Uh, I think there was one American on okay. the list from memory, um, but the rest were all Victorian. I guess if you want to make them, it's more important that they are. Yeah, I think so. From. Yeah, definitely. So you obviously didn't have your mum or your sister around once you went home with Fletcher. How did you cope with that? And um, Surprisingly well, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So I had a friends stay the first two nights and then after that I'm in a two-bedroom apartment so to be honest I was finding it more stressful having people in the house Um, mainly because I was in one room so Fletcher was with me but there's a lot you know when he was sleeping I just sort of wanted downtime and I was conscious that having someone else in the house I felt like I had to keep the conversation going Um, so definitely friends would pop over and stuff and help during the day but we found our own routine and rhythm pretty quickly um and an actual fact now that he's 10 and a half months I look back to those newborn days and think you know they were challenging but in a weird way they were also quite easy because the only thing I needed to do for him was feed and luckily um you know he latched really well and I had a lot of milk so again very very fortunate when it comes to the breastfeeding journey but um it was not really a problem for us um so that was I think a real blessing Mm. I was I'm also someone who's used to going to bed very early and waking very early so you know when when he it's nothing to me I could easily go to bed at seven o'clock at night and we would be doing our first feed at nine but I felt like I was getting enough sleep in those blocks um but then also not feeling like I had to nap the day away so I could keep my routine pretty well um yeah so it was actually really I was definitely very sad that my family missed the newborn newborn days Mm -hmm. there's nothing like a newborn snuggle and by the time they met him at he was just on 12 weeks when we got out of hotel quarantine you know he was definitely a little baby then you know he's through the newborn phase um but at the same time, in a weird way, I think we just found our own rhythm in the first 12 weeks that I don't think we would have found had I actually had a whole lot of family here. So two sides to it, but it's worked yeah, out well. I think, I think quite similarly from our experience as well. It's just, yeah. the and it's just this beautiful little newborn bubble and all you have to do is focus on each other. So oh, it is. And like weirdly, yeah, and weirdly enough, if I was – lucky enough to have a second I'd almost do it all again the same I mean obviously it would be different because I would have a toddler running around but I just think those newborn days passed so quickly it's so true and so cliche what everyone says that the days are long but the years are short I mean even now I can't get enough of him and I'm like every day I feel like your hands are growing and soon they're going to be even bigger you know you just really want to savor all of these days I think so did you go back to New Zealand when he was only 12 weeks old and go through hotel quarantine? Yeah. 
So we traveled at 10 weeks. My sister was getting married. So we were very fortunate to secure a spot in the lottery mm-hmm. after several attempts. Um, so we traveled to Auckland and then we were told when you, because you don't know where you're going before you, you don't know where you're going to end up in the country. Yeah. Um, so then we were told when we landed, we had to get a bus to Hamilton. And then after that process, about two and a half hours later, you we arrived at Jet Park in Hamilton, which is a um, motel out kind of in the business districts of Hamilton. So no Uber Eats or anything available because it's too far out of the city. Um, and again, luckily my life had kind of been a bit of hotel quarantine before I left. As a newborn days, you know, you're not really out and about much. Um but it was a pretty challenging time that we were only allowed outside for half an hour a day. So the, um, I was used to walking with him a lot because it was just, you know, a good way to get him to sleep. Um, and I found the food not my style of food. I would have said I wasn't a fussy eater. Turns out I'm probably a very fussy eater. <laughs> um, so I just, I found that side challenging. Um, but anyway, it was a means to an end. It was 10 days and then... I was lucky enough to celebrate my 38th birthday there, oh, um, yay. <laughs> which put on a great celebration for me. It was really great. Uh, and then we caught the bus back to Auckland and then my dad actually came to meet us in Auckland Airport, which was awesome. Then we flew down to Wellington together. I'm sure there were lots of tears from him when he got to meet his little grandson. Oh, it was so weird. They actually ended up being colour coordinated and burnt orange. I mean, <laughs> my dad never wears burnt orange, and lo and behold, they're both matching. It was very cute, yeah. very cute. And so he's ten and a half months old now, and you're already back at work. How have you found that transition? Um, it's actually very challenging. I would have to say, uh, I found I never really found that I switched off 100% from work. So I guess I had always felt pretty connected when I was on leave, Um, Mm -hmm. but an opportunity came up to do a secondment. So I jumped at that, which takes me through till Jan um, next year. So went back earlier than I had anticipated. So for the last two and a half months, I've worked but had Fletcher at home with me full time. Um, And that has worked okay because... I can certainly be online when he's in on napping and then he spent many a meeting on my knee, um, Mm -hmm. which is also lovely. Uh, But it's definitely, I find the balance of my availability challenging um, because prior to Fletcher, I would have been the first in the office, the last to leave, happy to work any hours of the day and night. Um, And I find that I, you know, there's been opportunities to travel or um, go into state for meetings and suddenly I'm like, oh, actually, that's not an option for me now or an overnighter, that's not an option for me now. So there's, I think, again, in one way, COVID's been such a blessing for me because now hybrid working is actually such a normal way of life and I don't have to be in an office five days a week. Mm. So that's has given me such a different opportunity and what this return has looked like because it means I can ease Fletcher into care and he doesn't have to go from zero to five days. Um, But at the same time, I think there's still a lot of challenges for women returning to the workplace. And I think this would be true even 
if I wasn't doing this on my own, I think I would still face the same challenges and just things being different. So it's, um, yeah, me starting to be comfortable with the new normal, I think. Yeah. And do you think you'll go full-time in the new year once this comment finishes up? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I'll definitely go back to full-time work and I think it's the balance ideally I would get Fletcher he's doing two days care at the moment ideally I'd get him up to four and be able to keep him home with me one day and work full-time hours but across four days or something like that like again I think there's so many options to put on the table um when I need to cross that barrier but at the moment the juggle is working for both of us um but I'm also aware that when he's up or when I'm with him I'm trying to make that time where I'm not super distracted. So, you know, breakfast and dinners is a really nice time for us. I try and say that we sit at the table so we can eat together. He's not doing a lot of eating at the moment, but, you know, set up some really nice habits that that work well for us instead of me being constantly distracted and on calls and him thinking that that's also normal. I'm definitely with you on that. And I've I've got very good at boundaries um, since I've been back at work that I never used to be before I had a child, but she's the most important thing. So Totally. And I just think, you know, in a year's time or two years' time, the work's still going to be there. So I have to keep reminding myself of that day to day because part of it is like, oh, I just want to do everything now and I want to be everything to everyone. And But equally, I 100% do not want to look back and think, I wish I had just spent more time with him. So that's something I need to keep front and centre. And so you did make a little comment that maybe if you have number two, what that would look like. How many embryos do you have in the freezer? I have got three three left. So I um, had 30 eggs that were collected. Uh, They made 18 embryos and out of that six were frozen um and then one the quality wasn't good so that was discarded one didn't take number two was Fletcher so I've got three left so the plan would be to use two um Mm -hmm. and then if they don't take uh do another collection and then keep trying from there more because my fertility specialist is just thinking again I'm another year older so you know to collect the eggs sooner rather than later um just to try and ensure that they're as good as quality as possible. I'm slightly torn on the plan, but I'll go with it because I trust her implicitly. But, you know, part of me thinks, imagine if I got another five, which would be unbelievable, um, but number three takes. So, <laughs> y- you know, you, ne- you never know. But um, then I would think, what do I do with the remainder of the five? I mean, I would love to have a tribe of seven, but I feel like having seven children on my own would also be slightly unrealistic. So it might be a little hard uh, in a two-bedroom apartment too. <laughs> yes, yes. So we'll we'll cross that barrier when we need to, but um, ideally start, yeah, trying in the new year, hopefully, um, and really keen to, once I'm pregnant, um, then make some decisions around... A possible move back to New Zealand or see yeah what a uh, more permanent place in Melbourne looks like yeah lots of big decisions coming out then mm, definitely so when you look back now do you think it's what you thought it was going to be or and if it's different how 
Uh, good question. I think the, I think it is. Like I love, I'm someone that's always thrived off routine. So that I really enjoy. Um, but I don't think anyone could have prepared me for how much I love and miss him when I'm not around him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think anything can prepare you for that, actually. And weirdly enough, I have enjoyed it probably more than what I thought I would. Like I, if someone said to me, you could have 15 children, I would 100% be pregnant and give birth 15 times. Like I <laughs> loved the whole experience. Yeah. And even though I didn't feel great, I just think it's like we literally can grow humans. Like It's ridiculous. And then the whole experience of giving birth, even though literally I probably didn't tick one box on what I had thought would be my ideal plan, it, again, was just so surreal, you know, after hours and all that pain. And weirdly enough, it's like running an ultramarathon, which I've run a few of. Yeah. When you're in the 88K of 100 and you feel like your feet are going to fall off and you're cursing yourself and thinking, I'm never going to do this again. And the next day you're signing up for your next one. You know, it's, it's just <laughs> such a weird sense of euphoria that you get um yeah but I think there's something and that bond that you feel um yeah there's just something really magical about it so mm, it's great yeah do you think you'd do anything differently if you could now um no I don't think so I mean I think part of me thinks I would have started earlier if I'd known but the other part of me thinks you know I have always been quite a big believer in everything happens for a reason and I do think that the timing was right for me and I think Fletcher came along because the timing was right you know if I'd started a couple of years earlier the outcome might not have been the same I might have given up sooner who knows but I just think I was very ready um so yeah no I don't I don't think so. I think it was great. And mm. is there any advice you'd give to anyone who's kind of on the fence and just trying to decide if this is the right journey for them or not? Yeah, I think if you wake up in the morning and it's the one of the first things you think about, it's the right move for you. I mean, again, I'm lucky to be in a good job, you know, financially secure. I feel very privileged um, to have been able to access all the stuff that I needed to and, you know, I'm not in a position where I need to live paycheck to paycheck. So I feel very, very fortunate that way. But I also think there's always a solution to your problems. So, yeah, for me, it would just be take the leap of faith. I just think you you won't regret trying. I mm-hmm. think people would regret not trying would be my advice. That's some really, really awesome advice to end with. Thank you so much for sharing your story tonight, Jack. I can't wait for other people to hear it. No worries. Thank you so much. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.